Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Long Relief Podcast with Austin Nakuda and Barrett Hodgson. Today, episode five for season one. Barrett, we have a big episode planned ahead. Special guest Ryan LaVarnway will be joining the show. Uh, we got a lot to talk about in the next few minutes. Yes, we do. And uh, before Ryan joins us, why don't we get into the free agent signings that have happened over the past week? Yeah, so the uh, stove is finally turned on a bit. I wouldn't call it hot quite yet, but we're getting there. Uh, one of the first ones that's come up in the last, I guess, 48 hours or so was uh, Anthony DiScalfani going back to the San Francisco Giants at three years uh, north of $35 million. Uh, pretty solid year he had last year in San Francisco, and he stays in an area where he's comfortable. Yeah, and like you said, he kind of reinvented himself last year, as did Alex Wood, who also resigned with the Giants. So both of those guys going back to San Fran after they recreated themselves, and they had really good years, so they must be very comfortable there. And under Gabe Kapler, the NL manager of the year, they'll be running it back and trying to re uh, recreate what they did last year. And for Di Sclafani, he was coming up with the Cincinnati Reds, struggled a bit there, but under Gabe Kapler in San Francisco, he's had a pretty good successful run, and I think it's important for these guys to kind of stay where they had success rather than chase the money somewhere else. I agree with that statement as well. We saw a little success with Alex Wood with the Dodgers, and he kind of he lost that touch over the years, and he came into San Fran, and both him and Di had really strong years from last year, leading that team to 108 wins. And another team in the state of California has made some moves this offseason in the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. They've brought in Noah Syndergaard. We talked about that on episode four a bit. And now they bring in Aaron Loop, a left-handed reliever for two years, $17 million. Barrett, your initial reactions to that signing? I hate it. I don't think Aaron Loop's worth $17 million over two years. <laughs> that's, that's just my opinion on it. Uh, I don't know. I know that the Mets are always looking for pitching, but it just doesn't seem like a fit that makes much sense to me. I don't think Loop's been great over his career, and I thought they gave him a little bit too much money. Oh, yeah, I 100% agree with that. You know, I try to give guys the benefit of the doubt, you know, but you look at Aaron Loop's career, right? In 2018, he spent time with the Phillies. He spent time with the Blue Jays and had an ERA of 4.52 over that span and a whip of 1.4. 2017 with the Blue Jays, uh, he had an ERA of 3.75, 2016, 5.02, 2015, 4.46. 2019, he appears in four games and has a, uh, no runs come across, goes to the Rays in 2020, has success with a 2.52 ERA, goes to the Mets in 2021, and was pretty stellar. I'll give it to him. But I don't know. I just, I don't know if he's, he's at 33 years old now, right? hasn't had sustained success outside of the last two years. I, I don't know if he's worth 17 million over two years. I mean, he's not going to give you a lockdown reliever again. Yeah. And especially in that angels bullpen that needs arms, they might lose Rosila Iglesias this off season. I don't think Aaron loops your answer to losing a guy like that, especially when you don't have a lot of starting pitching. I can get you deep into games. I just don't think loop makes much sense at that price. The Angels are going a little bit pitcher heavy and they add loop. They add Cindergaard. Are they a team that can contend at all Barrett or are they just a team that are pretenders basically? I think they're a pretender team. I mean, I know you have Otani, you have Mike Trout, but they just don't have enough pitching. I think to make a run at the postseason, unless they can land another guy, if they can land a guy like a Scherzer, 
even like a Steven Matz or something. And Barrett, you mentioned Steven Matz a little bit. Where is a place that you see him fit? I think he's a guy, in my opinion, who has been solid over his career, but I don't think he's worth, I wouldn't give him a four-year deal. You know what I mean? I think he's kind of a guy you take a flyer on two years, maybe 24 million or something. Where do you see him fitting in? So he's been linked to a lot of teams. He's been linked to the Red Sox, back to the Blue Jays, the Tigers, the Cubs, the Cardinals, the Giants, the Angels, and the Mets. Uh, and I saw that the Mets have had really good conversations since they hired that their GM. So I could see him sliding back into the Mets rotation uh, alongside Jacob DeGrom. And I could see the Mets overpaying for him. I could see that that team giving him a four-year deal. The other teams, not so much. I don't see him giving them more than two, maybe three. But I could definitely see the Mets overpaying for Steven Matz and bringing him back to New York. Really? Matz to New York? I See, it's a Mets move. It's a, it's a move that I can see that organization making because they like to spend money under Cohen, the owner, and they like to, you know, overspend a bit, I think, at times. It's evident when they got Lindor and into that huge extension. Um, but are, are they going to – the Mets, right, they're going to go and they're going to spend some money this offseason. I think they're still going to be behind the Braves and the Phillies in that division pretty much no matter what they really do. They don't – they have they have a lot of holes to fill as a team. Yeah. I agree 100% with that statement. I, What do they have in their pitching rotation? Stroman's a free agent. They lost Syndergaard. I mean, all they have left is DeGrom, and then they're going to lose Javi. They're probably going to lose Javi Baez. Conforto, I can't see him wanting to go back there. They're going to have a lot of holes to deal with, and I just don't think they're good enough to get over that hump, like you said, to be as good as the Phillies or the Braves. I mean, you look at the rotation. You mentioned they lose Syndergaard. They let Zach Wheeler walk two off seasons ago. Uh, no more mats because they traded him to the Blue Jays. And now he, when he's a free agent, it could be an option. But even DeGrom Barrett, as dominant as Jacob DeGrom has been and the best pitcher in baseball over the last few years, he started to slow down a bit with injuries. Is that something that's something I'm concerned about, I think, long term. But can they rely on him to go out and give him 30 starts this year? I really don't know if they can because the last he hasn't given him 30 starts in years. Last year he got hurt. He was having an incredible season. Don't get me wrong, but he got hurt and he only pitched for half the season. The year before that was the COVID year. So he didn't make 30 starts that season. So I don't know if it's safe to say he is reliable enough to come back and give him 30 starts. I think they're really banking on him being that guy to come and give him 30 starts, but I just don't, I don't see it happening. Kind of like how Kershaw's injuries caught up to him kind of when he was right in his prime there towards the end of it. I think the injuries could catch up to DeGrom because they're just trying to ride him as much as they can. And DeGrom, as dominant as he's been, it's, he's, I think, cost himself a couple of Cy Young Awards due to the injuries. If he had pitched a full season, obviously he's, you know, racking up these Cy Young Awards anyways. But this year especially, with how dominant he was over the 100 innings or so, if he had pitched a full year or even another 60 innings, I think he's probably your Cy Young again. I think he's just such a generational talent, but it's disappointing to see them not being able to rely on him. And then with the money they have locked up with Lindor, it handcuffs them a bit to go get somebody else to help stabilize the rotation a bit. Yeah, and I agree with that 100%. I think um, if he pitched the whole season, he's probably the Cy Young at the rate he was going. I was, he was at a ridiculous pace, and the RA under one for almost all of his starts. And like you said, that huge Lindor contract, it's going to really, I think it's going to limit them a lot to what they do in this offseason um, in terms of going to get really big pieces. Maybe they do bring back a bias. But like I said, I do think they're going to lose out on Conforto. 
I don't think they can bring back both those guys and try to build that rotation and that bullpen. I just can't see it happening. Well, keep an eye on the MLB hot stove and all the latest rumors and updates here on the Long Relief Podcast. We're going to take a brief break, but when we return, we have Major League Baseball catcher who's had a pretty incredible career Barrett in the majors over 10 years. Ryan LaVarnway will be joining us. Very excited to get to talk with Ryan. Yeah, I'm super excited to talk to him here about what he has to say. He was a catcher in the MLB, one of the smartest positions in the game. So it's going to be, I'm really looking forward to talking to him. We'll be back in a moment on the Long Relief Podcast with Ryan LaVarnway. Welcome back here on the Long Relief Podcast, Austin Dakota and Barrett Hodge, and excited to welcome a very special guest, Major League Baseball catcher Ryan LaVarnway. Ryan, thank you for taking time to join the show. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Thank you, Ryan. So you spent a bulk of 10 seasons in the majors and around the minor leagues in baseball. At what point in your career, because you've had a long, successful career, did you realize that you had a chance to make it to the majors when you were growing up? When did you kind of pinpoint that and understand that, hey, I have a chance to do this at the highest level possible? Uh, well, it started with a dream for me. You know, when I was five years old and I started playing, I made my, you know, my first all-star game. It was, it was something that I really wanted to do. And when, you know, when you're five years old, you have big dreams and, and you don't know how realistic they are. You just know you want to work towards them. And I think the thing that I had the benefit of is coming from Southern California, other people had made it to the majors before. There had been a couple other players that had come through my little league, a couple other players that had gone through my high school that had made it to the bigs. So, so it was always a possibility. Uh, the thing that kills me is when you have young kids that have dreams and, and people tell them they can't do it or that it's not realistic. And I was lucky enough to never have that. Uh, but as far as when did I really feel it was realistic? Probably not till college. So elaborate a little bit on college. Uh, what was it like playing for Yale and the experience you had there? Uh, Yale was, Yale was an amazing experience. I loved every minute of it. Um, except maybe the, the first time we went through a finals period and I thought I was going to fail out. <laughs> um, no, but the, the coaching staff was great about understanding when we had heavy schoolwork periods and giving us, giving us, you know, a little bit less baseball workload. Um, and then the guys on the team were, were super competitive, super awesome guys that I really am, am close friends with a lot of them still. And uh, that's where I learned how to time manage and focus on baseball when it was baseball time and focus on school when it was school time. Hmm. And just being in the dining hall, being in the classroom, um, the city of New Haven with the food there. I'm a big foodie. I, I, I loved it. And then, Ryan, after your career with Yale, you get selected by the Boston Red Sox and spend a good bulk of time in their organization. What was your time like with the Red Sox organization growing up a young kid and getting to play in one of the premier baseball markets in the world. Boy, I did not know what I was getting myself into going to Boston. Those, uh, the media there, the fan base, it's incredible. Um, coming from, especially coming from Yale, where I don't even know that we had anybody that cared how we did. You know, we weren't a great baseball program. We might've been ranked 272nd out of 271. I don't know. Uh, but going to Boston and, and having so many people that cared about what we did, even in the minor leagues, that was really something special. And Boston will always hold a, you know, a really awesome place in my heart because they showed me how great baseball can be and how much it can matter. Uh, and then also when I was in the big leagues and, and we were terrible, 
you know, how much that affects people too. Like they really care, good, bad, ugly, beautiful. I won a world series. We were in last place the next year. Um, I saw the highs and the lows in that Boston market is, you know, there's no better place to play baseball than there. Yeah. And as a Red Sox fan, I, I understand that I'm part of that. So, um, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the 2013 season and what that was like being part of that clubhouse? Oh yeah. The, the thing that the first memory I have of that year was uh, showing up to spring training. We had a new manager. We had, we had the Bobby Valentine experiment the year before in 2012 that, you know, we had a hard time playing well under his leadership for whatever reason that we won't get into. Um, but in 2013, we brought in a couple new free agents, uh, Johnny Gomes and Mike Napoli were there. And the first conversation I had with Mike Napoli, I'm sorry, with Johnny Gomes, I said, how you doing, Johnny? He said, I'm good. I'm one day closer today to the World Series parade than I was yesterday. And he just set the expectation right away from day one. Like, this is what we're going to do. We're worrying about jinxing it. We're going to talk about it and we're going to make it a reality. And I think we were in first place from start to finish. You know, I went up and down a couple of times that year, but the boys on that team, we went out there and we expected to win every day, whether we were favored or not. And I'm sure that team is one that holds a very special place in your memories, Ryan. And throughout your career, you spent time with other organizations such as the Orioles, the Braves, the A's, uh, amongst others. Is there an organization that you enjoyed playing for the most or was the Red Sox kind of the one that you've uh, kind of keyed in on as your favorite? Well, the Red Sox were the ones that gave me my start and that I spent the most time with. So the Red Sox are always in a, in a class of their own for me. But once I left there, you know, I've played for so many different teams now. Um, the team that really stands out is the Pirates organization. And I think a lot of people might not go that route because the Pirates have a lot of rules. They're very strict on their minor leaguers. They have a shave policy, a socks up policy. But don't bother me because the intent behind those rules is to teach discipline. And the thing that I really enjoyed about the Pirates organization was the focus that they have on sport, like sports psychology and your mental well-being and trying to build the best that you can be from the inside out. And I, I really, I really enjoyed that there. That's awesome. And over time, when you played with all those different organizations, I'm sure you've caught a lot of different pitchers. So is there any pitchers that you really enjoyed working with or calling games for throughout your career? There's, there's been a few guys that, I, that I've really enjoyed. Um, I think at this point in my career, the guys that I, I really root for the hardest or the ones that I enjoy most are the, the young guys that have the talent and that are still figuring out how to use their stuff the best and that the guys that I really feel like I can help and that are really want to listen and really want to learn and that I can see in, in, in them that they're hungry and willing to do whatever it takes to get to that next level. So those, it's those young prospect guys that you might not have heard of, or that, that are about to be really, really good and jump into the spotlight that I really enjoy catching. And in recent years, Ryan, you've taken your knowledge throughout your career and you've been able to use it in playing for Team Israel in the World Baseball Classic and most recently a part of the Tokyo Olympics. I know that's a very special memory for you. Can you talk a little bit about how special those opportunities were for you? Oh, man. Uh, international baseball is something else. Uh, playing in the professional game, playing 162 games plus preseason plus play. Like, there's just no way for every single game 
to have the same importance as the intensity you see in the World Series, right? Like that that's pure baseball. That's pure competition. That's what we all remember in our fondest memories from high school, from college baseball, from Little League, when when we are going to live and die with whether we win that game that day, right? Everyone has those memories, and that's what we love about the game. And that's what international baseball feels like to me. These tournaments are so short, and you're playing for so much more than yourself that the games mean so much more. And any of the other petty little things that, that might come up just don't matter anymore. Well, Ryan, thank you very much for taking time to call here on the Long Relief Podcast. We really appreciate it. And congratulations on all the success you've had throughout your major league career. And best of luck with everything that's coming up in the future. Oh, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you again to Ryan LaVarnway for taking time to call into the podcast. Barrett, it was great to have Ryan on the show and get a chance to talk with him. He's done some incredible work around the game of baseball uh, in the minor leagues with some younger pitchers and internationally, as he talked about, I know Team Israel uh, was incredibly important to him. It was great getting to know Ryan and all the, the experiences that he's been through in his career. Yeah, and he's played for so many different teams and been part of so many different organizations it's really interesting to see some of his answers uh and one of those was when he talked about the red sox and that 2013 clubhouse and how their mentality was just we're gonna win no matter what and that red sox team was a team that came together a little bit unexpectedly and everybody played a role and i think the story he told about johnny gomes shows you just how tight-knit of a group they were and how much that how, how the personalities all kind of mixed well together on that team yeah, and like like you said, that the personalities were the key component. And along with that was the Boston Marathon. And I think the team really rallied behind that and rallied behind the Boston community. And they rode that momentum throughout the playoffs to win the World Series. And another organization that Ryan talked about in his interview are the Pittsburgh Pirates. And they're an organization, Barrett, that I think on social media gets a little bit of a bad reputation because they haven't spent a ton of money. But to hear Ryan talk about how well they treat their players and the structure they have in their organization, it was refreshing to hear an organization that has those values. Yeah, and I, I wasn't expecting him to say the Pirates. So I, was, I found it very interesting that he talked about how they try to teach discipline in the minors and make these players MLB-ready guys. And some of the guys that they trade away, like Austin Meadows and Tyler Glasnow, you can really see that they're, they're professionals in this game. And that Ryan League system that Ryan talked about is a product of that. And once again, we want to send a big thank you to Ryan LaVarnway for joining the podcast. Austin Dakota and Barrett Hodgson here as we finish up on episode five. Barrett, let's get back to free agency and a little bit about some free agent predictions if you want to start there and where we think some of the guys left might land. I guess we just start with a couple of the shortstops if you want to go. I guess Marcus Simeon, a guy that is flying under the radar, but somebody I want to I want to highlight. Where do you think he could end up? So I like I like Semyon going to the Giants actually and playing second base for him. Uh, I think that they're willing to give him a lot of money, and he fits in with that veteran core that they have there. And he'd be a huge addition because they don't really have a second baseman. So I think that's my pick for where Semyon goes. What do you think? I can see the Giants. I mean, a lot of people might not realize the Giants were a team that were finalists for Bryce Harper when he was a free agent. They're willing to spend money 
if it makes sense for the organization, if it's a good fit. The Giants are a team I could see him going to, but honestly, a really good fit for Simeon, I think, would be him returning to Toronto. I just think it, it makes sense. I know people aren't talking about it a ton, but Toronto, with the way that they're structured, with the young uh, talent in Bichette and Guerrero, um, pairing Semyon with those guys, I think really makes sense for that organization. Yeah, and I agree with that aspect too. I can see him returning there, and he could really be a veteran leader in that clubhouse for years to come, and he could play second base next to Bo Bichette, and I think it'd be a really good fit as well. Another free agent that has some second base experience is Javier Baez, Barry. Where do you see him going? Man, Javier Baez. I could see him going to a lot of different places. Um, I would say probably my guess for Baez is I think he, he would return to the Mets or go to the Cubs. I think if the Cubs give him a big enough contract, he won't say no. But I think if the Mets come in a similar ballpark, he has good friends on the Mets with Lindor and Jonathan VR and I could see him return to that clubhouse due to his friends there or I could see him following the money and going back to Chicago as they've also been like 10. I just I think Baez is a guy that's going to go where the money is I really do I think he's had that experience of being a part of a World Series team right with the Cubs and at this point in his career he's so marketable as a player that he can go somewhere and get a ton of money because the team is able to sell tickets because people want to see Javi Baez play. Yeah, and he definitely would help that Cubs organization sell tickets as they really don't have a lot of superstars at their MLB level yet. And I think it makes sense for the Cubs strictly for ticket sales. I don't think it makes sense financially. I don't. I think he's a little bit overrated of a player. I know he's a great defender and all, but his on-base percentage isn't very good. So I guess my pick would be the Cubs. Yeah, and Baez a guy who obviously he strikes out a lot and doesn't walk a ton. He did improve on that, I think, the last month of the year. Uh, but we'll be interested to see where he goes and how much money he gets. And this shortstop and second baseman class is pretty deep. And we talked about Baez and Simeon. Uh, then you have the big three, essentially, with Correa, Seager, and Story. We'll start with Story because I think he's the one that will get less than Correa and Seager. I can see Story. I, I think I said this before. You know, five years, $150 million or something like that. I, I don't think I can see him getting 300 million dollars but i'm still gonna say i think i think trevor story is gonna go to the philadelphia phillies yeah and i agree with you on the money aspect for sure with story and i could also see him being a philly if they're willing to give him that kind of money um my pick for story before was the cardinals i'm gonna kind of stick with it i think he fits their team there i think they're a bad away and he fits how they play defense it's a really good defensive organization so my pick for story is going to be the cardinals I could see that fitting in for sure because the Cardinals are a team that seem to be one guy away from making a big push to the pennant. And with the Phillies for a second, going back, I think it depends on Bryson Stott because he's their one of their top prospects. Some think he could be an MLB shortstop. He had an incredible year in the minors and a really good fall playing. But Dave Dombrowski is a guy who will use that momentum and trade Stott to get himself a starting pitcher or a closer. So – even if you think Stott's the MLB ready shortstop, I can see Dombrowski signing story and trading Stott to get some bullpen depth or even like a lockdown closer type of guy. Yeah, trust me. I know the Dombrowski experience and I wouldn't, <laughs> and no prospect is safe. None. Not a so, single one. Uh, and he likes to spend money too. So 
I think Story could definitely be a fit there if they look to trade uh, Stott. And I think you'd hit the nail on the head talking about Jabrowski and how he operates the minors. Yeah, he sees the momentum in that, that Stott has built up, and he started to rise a bit in the prospect ranking, so maybe he capitalizes on that and sends him on his way. Uh, the other two, Seeger and Correa, we talked about a bit. Um, I'll give you my thoughts quick on uh, Correa to start. I think he's going to go to the Yankees. I, I, as much as people are starting to rule them out, I think at the end of the day, they need Correa. They need that shortstop. They need to start winning again because they've struggled in the last couple of years. And I think he just fits because they need to start winning and Cashman's going to spend whatever it takes to get them back towards a pennant. Yeah, and I could see the Yankees. Uh, the reason I don't have Trey to the Yankees is because I have Seager to the Yankees. Uh, and I think Correa ends up. The Yankees are going to make splash in the market in some way. Uh, I do think it could be in center field. They might go get like a starting Marte or something along with a starting pitcher. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see what combination of guys they go for. But my pick for the Yankees is Seager. And then my pick for Correa is the Tigers. It could be either way. I could definitely see Seager going to the Yankees. They need some more left-handed bats. Joey Gallo was kind of a bust. Seager is such an interesting player because he came up a top prospect, had a couple of injuries, and didn't exactly play well in the middle of his career. Comes back strong with the Dodgers and ends up building himself up to be one of the top free agents once again. And he's a guy that a lot of teams are going to be looking at. But I think a natural fit for Corey Seager is the St. Louis Cardinals. And the only reason I say that is because I think Story's going to the Phillies. I think I know you said you think Story could go to the Cardinals. I think the Cardinals are here to get a shortstop, and they're going to fly under their radar. They're going to go get Seager or Story or one of these guys to help fill that gap because I think the organization realizes they're not far away from winning this, especially in that division where the Pirates are out of it, the Cubs are starting to rebuild. Um, the Brewers are obviously pretty talented. Um, but they got to be able to make a push, right? And I think this is a, a good time for them to do so. Yeah, and Seager to the Cardinals makes just as much sense as Story. I just don't know if they're in his price range ballpark, and that's why I right. had Story there. Uh, but Seager's similar to Story. He's a good hitter, good good defensive shortstop, so it makes sense for the Cardinals either way with either of those guys. They can't go wrong. So it'll be interesting to see where the rest of these free agents sign, Barrett. We got some pitchers still on the market. Max Scherzer, a guy who had a little bit of dead arm, I think, in the end of the year towards the World Series. I think that's going to affect his value. I think if his arm's healthy, he pitches solid down in the World Series. You know, he pitched well down the stretch, but the arm trouble might back teams away from a, a third year on his deal or even a second year on a deal. Yeah, and the Dodgers are trying to get every possible pitch out of him that they could have with what they gave up to get him and Trey Turner. Uh, for Scherzer, I think he's either going to return to the Dodgers or he could end up back with the Nationals. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think the Dodgers will be willing to pay him. I think he fit in that clubhouse. They He was really talented down the stretch for him, even though he had that dead arm. And the Dodgers are going to spend money somewhere. They're not gonna. I don't think they lose Seager and Scherzer and Kershaw. So someone, someone's going back to the Dodgers, and my pick for that is going to be Scherzer. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. I think Scherzer goes to the Dodgers. 
it makes sense. They they gave up Kiebert Ruiz and Josiah Gray. They're going to want to maintain, I think, Scherzer and Turner as long as they can, as long as they're playing effectively and uh, getting production. But Kershaw, you mentioned, a guy who's a free agent for the first time in his career, and everything is kind of pointing towards him in L.A. breaking up and him moving on. I think Kershaw goes to the Texas Rangers on a one-year prove-it type of deal uh, and ends up starting and playing pretty well for the Rangers. Yeah, and I think Kershaw is going to end up in a different organization as well. And I could see the Rangers for sure, but I think the Yankees are going to be a dark horse for Kershaw. Like you said, Cashman's going to spend a lot of money. Uh, we saw him take a chance last year with Corey Kluber coming off some injuries. So I think it's just a very Yankees move to go throw a ton of money at Kershaw, who's had a lot of injuries throughout his career. And it could it's it's a big swing or a miss. It could be a home run for him and he has a Cy Young type of season, or he could like Kluber, he could get injured again. The Yankees are an interesting organization. They're gonna spend money. We discussed it multiple times. Kershaw to the Yankees would be a site that I, I I don't know if I could stomach it because it'd just be such a disappointing end to Kershaw's illustrious career. Um, but I think it'd, be, it'd work out for both him and the team. Uh, Barrett, any other free agents you want to pinpoint before we move on? Uh, if you Brazil Iglesias, you had a pick for him. I seen him linked to the Phillies. What do you think about that? Ooh, he's not reliable enough, honestly. He's he's had chances to become a lockdown closer, right, throughout his career and earn some money and find some consistency, but I feel like he hasn't found any consistency. I think he's going to get, you know, a, a multi-year deal worth a decent chunk of money because teams that so desperately need a good closer now, but I would prefer if the Phillies stay away from him. I just don't think he has the consistency that they need at the back end of their bullpen. Yeah. And I understand that with the Phillies and their bullpen woes uh, as a Red Sox fan, I'd take him. I don't know if he'd be the closer when you sign him. I don't know how much money you give him or whatnot, but I don't know if they give Barnes a chance again, but I can see the Red Sox are going to go get a reliever in some capacity during the offseason. I could see Rizzo Iglesias being one of the options for him. It'll be interesting to see where Iglesias, the rest of this free agent class, goes. And keep in mind, throughout the offseason, there are also trades that are happening. Not any big ones to this point for the most part, but in the last couple of days, we've seen Tyler Wade get traded from the Yankees to the Angels, and Harold Ramirez is going to the Cubs. Barrett, your reaction on those two uh, low-level trades, we'll call them. I think Ramirez is an interesting one. I think he could have success with the Cubs. As as we know, they're rebuilding. But that's a guy, if he gets every day at bats in that lineup, I've liked what I've seen out of him in Cleveland. And I think he could be a good piece for him. As for Tyler Wade, he feels like a, a Walmart Dane Fletcher kind of guy for them. <laughs> uh, I, think, I actually think Wade's a decent player. I liked him on the Yankees. One of the few Yankees I liked. Uh, so I think he could be a valuable piece for when Rendon needs an off day. You can slide into third. Uh, you can play a little short. You can play a little second. You kind of do it all. So I like the the Angels going to get a utility guy like that to have off their bench. Yeah, we'll see how he fits in there. He's not one that I don't think is going to move the needle. But if you look at the Angels and they end up competing, guys like Wade can end up being really valuable down the stretch to a team like that. We've seen it in years past. You know, the utility players like Brock Holt making an impact and helping out their team down the stretch. And Ramirez is another interesting one, as we talked about, because the Cubs are so good at developing talent, right? That We've seen them develop Baez, 
They saw him develop Rizzo and Bryant throughout their career. Um, many other guys along those lines. I mean, in pitching as well, with Kyle Hendricks coming up and made him into a pretty successful pitcher. Uh, they've had prospects that they've traded throughout the years too, like Eloy Jimenez and Glaber Torres. So they end up making these guys pretty valuable. So it's going to be interesting to see what the Cubs can do with him. Yeah, and I think they could have a very interesting three, four, five. We saw a really strong season from Patrick Wisdom, a really good end of the season from Frank Schwindel. And if they can get any traction on Ramirez, they might have a little something there with those three guys in the middle of their order. Yeah, I, th- I think the Cubs are a team that doesn't need a long, drawn-out rebuild. Might just need a few years, a couple of years to retool rather than a full rescale. You know, they traded their stars, you know, as their contracts expired. Um, but there's still pieces in that organization that as they know what they're doing and as they piece them together, I think can make for a solid team. Yeah. And last year they picked up Nick Madrigal, another mm-hmm. good young player. I think, like you said, I don't think it's a long rebuild for the Cubs and it doesn't hurt for them to go for a guy like Harold Ramirez who has upside. And like you said, they can develop players. So this could be a home run for them if it works out. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens the rest of the way, Barrett. But as we wrap things up here on episode five of the Long Relief Podcast, I want to get any final thoughts you have on the MLB offseason. I'm just looking forward to see where these free agents fall uh, and land because it could really shake things up. It's a really good class. Should be a fun couple of weeks coming up in the world of Major League Baseball. We want to spend a, uh, send a special thank you to Ryan LaVarnway, Major League Baseball catcher for joining the show. We really appreciate Ryan's time on this episode. Be sure to follow him on social medias at rlavarnway or at Ryan LaVarnway. Thank you again to Ryan for taking time to call into the podcast. And for Barrett Hodgson, I'm Austin Nakuda saying thank you for listening to the Long Relief Podcast and have a great Thanksgiving.